Let's turn back over to the book of Philippians. How many of you, this will be your first service you've made out of this series of meetings? Could I see your hand? Wow, we still got a lot of new people. I've been teaching on Paul's secrets to happiness. Actually, you could say that this is Paul's secrets for life, Paul's secrets for victory, Paul's secrets for staying on top and not getting under the oppression of all of the things. But what we've been doing is looking at the book of Philippians because Philippi is a place that Paul went and he preached the gospel. And within just a matter of days of being there, he had a supernatural call in a vision to go to Philippi. But within days, he was beaten and thrown in the dungeon of a prison and his feet and hands were in the stocks. And uh, at midnight, he began to sing and worship God. Man, that's awesome. Most of us would love to have that kind of a relationship with the Lord. We would like to be able to be above our problems like that. And yet most people don't have the attitude that Paul had. So Paul wrote the book of Philippians to this group of people who were in Philippi. And as he gave them instructions here, he is revealing things in his heart that showed why he was able to prosper and why he was able to succeed in situations like that. You know, let me just say that some people just think that it's fate that deals them a bad hand and that things just aren't working out for them. They think that they're just cursed or whatever. And they think that it's something out there beyond their control that causes their life to go the way that they do. And so they look to government to fix everything. They say, why don't you do something for me? They look to people. They're always trying to blame somebody. They're saying, you know, it's my dysfunctional family. I had this happen to me when I was a child. And they're always looking and blaming things outside of them. One of the things that I believe that the book of Philippians shows is that it's not external things that causes your life to go the way they do. It's, the what, it's what you think. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Whether you like this or not, your life is going the direction it's going because of the way you think. That usually gets about that kind of a response. <laughs> People don't like that, but that is absolutely true. Some of you are thinking, I did not want all of the things that have happened to me. No, you didn't want it, but you thought in a way that allowed it to happen. For instance, you thought I'm only human. Who am I? You don't understand your authority in Christ. You don't understand that greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. You don't understand that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. There are things that you're thinking that make you just like everybody else. And that's wrong. When you got born again, you became a brand new creature and you are so full of God's power. You already have his life, his raising from the dead power on the inside of you. You know, religion all of the time is praying the power of God down. We've got, oh God, stretch forth your mighty hand. We come up with these doctrines that there's demons over Dallas, Fort Worth that are blocking our prayers from getting up to God. And so we've got to get people together and clear a hole in the atmosphere so our prayers can reach God. Some of you are laughing. That's true. I've, heard, I've been taught this. There's a lot of people that teach this, that there's an oppression over this area and they believe that it's all external things that are running them. You don't need your prayers to get up past the 
demonic powers and stuff. I don't doubt that they exist. But you know, this is why you bow your head when you pray is so that you can look at God. You say, Father, amen. God's not out there somewhere. He lives on the inside of you. This whole thing that you got to break through the demonic stuff and all of this, see, you're, you're thinking wrong. And that's the reason you feel separated and why doesn't God move? Because he's already on the inside of you. He can't get any closer to you than he is. It's your stinking thinking that is allowing the devil to steal, kill, and to destroy on the inside of you. So if you want change in your life, instead of praying for a different government, instead of praying that you get an increase in your welfare payments, instead of praying that somebody else does something that other people will straighten out, that, oh, God, remove all of the opposition, what you do is change the way you think. And as you think in your heart, that's the way you will be. Some of you don't agree with this, but your life is right now the way you think it is, the way you believe for it to be. Now, some of you want different things. You're praying for it, but you're thinking wrong. There's people that pray for healing, and yet you think sick. There's some of you that you've just grown up thinking that every, you know, season, it's flu season. So, I, you know, the flu's going around. I've got to get prepared. I, I'm going to catch the flu. It's allergy season and you've, you've lived your whole life. You've believed this your entire life. You think sick of heart disease and he brought this up. And you know what? There are many of you that since the time you were a kid, this runs in your family and you just expect this and it's the way you've thought. And then when you begin to start having symptoms that go along with what you've confessed and believed and, and, it, and spoken your entire life, you start praying for something different, but you're still thinking that after all, I'm only a Smith or a Jones and this is the way it all goes. And as the way you think, that's the way that your life goes. You see things on television and the doctors say this is incurable. And so you think, oh, this is terrible. And you put that sickness in a category that is just, this is tough. But with God, nothing is impossible. You shouldn't be thinking the way the world thinks. It isn't any harder for God to heal cancer than it is to heal a cold. God doesn't get afraid when you say AIDS, like, oh man, not AIDS. God doesn't have any problem with any of these things. But see, you think that certain things are hard. I've had people come to me before and want me to pray and they say, this is really bad. You got to fast and pray in order to deal with this. And uh, you know what? In their mind, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be hard. And guess what? That's the reason it's that way. You know, Ashley and Carly down here, some of you have seen their testimony, but they had shared with people about their daughter and most people were just, oh, this is really bad. It's terrible. And then when they came to me, I said, well, that's a piece of cake for Jesus. And you know what? That just sparked faith on the inside of them. That's true. Healing a daughter of an incurable disease, no problem. It's no big deal. Blindness is no big deal. You know, in this list of reports, uh, we had some blind people that were healed by our prayer ministers. One of them said it was the first time they'd ever had an instant manifestation. A person was totally blind and their eyes were open right here, right down here, just in the last day or two. It's no big deal. Many of you think, well, that's not the way I think. That's the reason you don't get those results. You think things are hard and guess what? They are hard if that's what you're believing for. I hadn't even got into my teaching yet, but this, 
The reason I said all of that is to say that Paul is expressing the things, the way he believes, the way he thinks. Most of us would love to have Paul's results. We would love to sing in the prison with our backs beaten, and we would love to sing and see an earthquake come and the miraculous happen, and we would love to get those results, but you don't want to think the way that he thinks. That's wrong. Your life is going the way of your thoughts. If you don't like the way your life is going, change the way you think. And this is a glimpse into the life of a man who wrote half of the New Testament, who turned the world right side up, who God used in a supernatural way. 2,000 years ago, his writings are still impacting the world and transforming lives. Man, we get the privilege of seeing what was in his heart. And if you would adopt his way of thinking instead of your way of thinking, you would get his results. It's really that simple. So there's 20 things in the book of Philippians that I'm just pulling out of these four chapters to illustrate the ways that Paul thought that caused him to operate in joy and in peace and in happiness. And most of these things are just diametrically opposed to the way most of us think today. So we've already gone through 12 of them. We went through Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13. And let me just drop on down to uh, verse 17. This is Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. This is the 13th thing that I've pulled out of these passages of Scripture about the way Paul thought. It says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. You know, most people wouldn't put an emphasis on this. They think, well, that's just kind of a transition Scripture going from one thought to another. But this is a major thing right here. Paul is saying, you need to watch who you follow, who you imitate. You need to pay attention. And if you set ungodliness before your eyes, it tends to produce ungodliness in you. If you set people as your heroes, as the people that you like, who have no integrity, in front of you, it affects you. This is a big deal. And the reason I pointed this out is because I think that this is one reason that a lot of people aren't walking in joy and peace and happiness is because the things that they set in front of them are just pitiful. You know, sports today, we glorify these people because they can kick a ball or throw a ball or do something. And they have all of these things. And yet they are immoral. They're ungodly. Their lifestyle is against everything that God stands for. And yet many Christians somehow or another just unplug and like, well, you know, that has nothing to do with anything. I just love the game or whatever. But you, you see them on a magazine cover and men, you have to have it. You put their picture up. You just love these people. And yet if you took their collective morality and put it in a thimble, it'd be nearly empty. They're ungodly. They espouse ungodly views. And I know some of you thinking, well, now you're making a big deal out of nothing. I believe it matters. I believe integrity matters. You know, back when I was a kid, I mean, back many moons ago, you know, sports was all about doing the right thing and, and integrity was important. And you put people in there who you could use as role models. Now, if you use the most popular sports figures today, they are ungodly people. 
Like I could call names, but some of the greatest basketball players got in trouble in Colorado for raping a woman at one of the hotels there and didn't affect his popularity. He's still on all of the covers. He's one of the most famous guys. People go out and they get drunk. They have DUIs. They beat up their wives. They are ungodly, ungodly people. And yet we just idolize them and are so excited about them. That affects you. It deadens you to ungodliness when you do that. Movie stars and stuff that are, I mean, absolutely ungodly, proclaiming new age doctrines and believing in Zen Buddhism and everything else. And I mean, if there is any weird belief systems in the world, they're all capsulated in Hollywood. And yet people just love that kind of stuff and love these people. They are ungodly people. Now, I'm not saying that you hate people, but I'm saying for you to idolize them and be so, so excited about them. And they are just ungodly people. Something's wrong with your value systems. And this affects you. And then one of them has a breakup from a person that they aren't even married to. They're just shacking up with them and living in adultery and they break up and it just breaks your heart to see this. <laughs> Something's wrong with you. <laughs> I know many of you are thinking I'm prying now, but I'm telling you, this is one of the problems that we have is that people have a spiritual side and then they have their own life over here and they will go watch adultery. They'll watch people commit sexual acts. They'll watch lying, stealing, murder, you know, I, I, I don't even know much about what's on TV nowadays, but I remember many moons ago, they had this comedy called Three's Company about a guy living with two girls and Christians watched that and, and took it as being funny. It was perversion. It's ungodly. You can't hardly watch anything without the token homosexual in there and all these kind of things and people still watch it. Do you know what? You're thinking contrary to what Paul thought. Paul said, mark people such as you have us as an example and only follow people, only watch people, only emulate people who have a godly example. Some of you are thinking, well, if I was to do that, I'd have to get rid of my television. Good thing. You can watch me on the internet. (laughs) I'm telling you, most of the stuff on TV is detrimental to you. You watch people and you get conditioned. You don't even realize it, but we watch people in the way they react to problems. If you see this happen a hundred times, a thousand times, 10,000 times, you know what? You get to where you react that way. You react in anger. You fall apart. You get bitter. They start talking about things that shouldn't even affect Christians, about sickness and disease, and they act like, you know, they're just only human and they don't trust God and they don't believe God. You see that played out a million times over and after a while, you'll respond the same way as all of the stuff that you watch. Amen. I'm going to have to amen myself. Y'all aren't paying attention. And you wonder why you're depressed and why you're discouraged and why things are going the way that they go. You spend hundreds of thousands of hours letting the unbelief and the junk of this world influence you. Paul said, mark us. Use us as an example, as a plumb line. And if if you see things, hear things that are contrary to what we're saying, mark that person and don't follow them. If you were to do that and put the word of God as your standard, 
and say, you know what? Like Paul, like uh, David said, I think I forget the exact Psalms right now. I can find it. It's the first verse or first two verses of one of the Psalms. It says, I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. You'll look that up, Ashley. I'd appreciate it. I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. You know what? If you were to make that decision and walk that way, many of us would have to get rid of half your magazines, your books, your novels that you read, your television programs. Where is it? Oh, here it is. Thank you. Psalms 101.3. I'll set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. Most of us love the work of them that turn aside. We watch it for entertainment. We pay big bucks to have this stuff funneled into our home. This is a major issue. If you want the results that Paul got, think the way Paul thought. And that is that he's not going to set any wicked thing before his eyes. He's going to mark people. And if they aren't walking in truth, he's not going to emulate them. He's not going to let them have influence and control in his life. That's a big thing. Y'all are just looking at me strange. I wish I could follow every one of you around for a while. Watch what you listen to. Listen to the kind of music. Sing about somebody falling off a bar stool and your dog running away and your truck dying and this and that. And you, you listen to all this redneck country and Western stuff and sing about ungodliness and then wonder why you're depressed. That stuff's depressing. Do you know they've discovered this back masking stuff that if you play things in reverse, you know what happens when you play country and Western music in reverse? Your dog comes home, your wife comes back, you get your pickup back. Because that's all it's singing about is losing everything and complaining about how bad it is and stuff like that. And you wonder why you're depressed. If all you did was go around singing Charlie and Jill's music, Lord, I'll worship you forever. Hallelujah. Bless the lamb. And if you did that all day long, you would be shocked what kind of an influence that would have on you to be just constantly reminding yourself of the goodness of God and thinking about this instead of thinking on the trash of this world. You let the sewage of the world flow through you and wonder why you feel filthy. Notice in the next verse, he's talking about Mark those So as you have us for an example in verse 18, Philippians three eighteen. for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul wasn't saying this because he was just hard-nosed and he hated people. No, he loved these people. It grieved him to say this. I don't get any pleasure out of talking about how ungodly our society is, but we live in a super ungodly society. You know, I travel around the world and one of the things that's embarrassing about America is that American films are everywhere and they are the most ungodly. They are perverted. It's terrible. We export all of our filthiness around the world. America is the leader in films and it's ungodly. 99.9% of it is just bad and it's infecting the world. And I don't get any pleasure out of saying that, but they're the enemies of the cross of Christ. I actually saw 
a survey one time and they interviewed all of the TV executives and the film executives and 95% of the TV and movie industry in the United States are atheist. Whereas in the uh, general population, 95% believe in God. The movie television industry is exactly inverted, flip-flop what their actual culture is. And people like Ted Turner, he said himself that he is an agnostic. He got, he rebelled because his sister died at a young age and the Presbyterian church told him it was God's will. And so he turned against God and he says, if there is a God, I hate him. And Ted Turner has said himself that he is using his influence to change the Judeo-Christian ethics of the United States. He is out to destroy God from America. And many of you pay to help him do that. Bring his stuff right into your home and love his stuff. And he's, he's outspoken. He's trying to destroy your faith in God. And it's working. Maybe not completely. Maybe you don't just reject God, but you know what? You just see ungodliness over and over and over and it has an effect on you. It says over in, uh, I believe it was, is either first or second Peter chapter two talking about Lot. It said this righteous man in seeing and hearing their ungodliness from day to day vexed his righteous soul. It vexed him. And that it's, it's vexing us. Many of us, the problems we have are because we are watching the news and the problems of the entire world are dumped in your lap every single day. Did you know that generations in the past, it would take three and four weeks for news to reach people. And by the time that happened, only the big stuff, only the important stuff, like if there was a world war or something really big only made it through all of this trivial stuff and about every single person that's having a problem today, that would all be weeded out. But in our information age, you get the problems of the world put in your home on live time. And you hear about every person that's been raped, every person that's been abused. All of this ungodliness is just hitting you in a way that it's never hit any generation in the history of the world before. You are being inundated with bad news. They don't tell you good news. They only tell you bad news. And if there isn't anything bad, they'll make something up. It's true. A lot of what you're hearing never comes to pass. It's all made up. Predictions, dire predictions. You know, I've used this example many times, but I was in Scotland when they predicted that the bird flu, the avian flu, the leading BBC health guy said, I saw him on television, interviewed, and he says, it is not a question of if, it's only a question of when the avian flu mutates into something that affects humans. And he says, I can guarantee you in one year or two years maximum, one third of the world's population will die from bird avian flu. That was in 2005. In 2007, I picked up a paper and read that there was a total of 12 deaths worldwide from avian flu. And yet he had predicted one third of the world's population would be dead. It wasn't true. It didn't happen. It was a lie. It was just exaggerating. And yet I guarantee it caused a lot of fear in people. People, they lost all of their poultry in England. I was in England when they had the mad cow disease. 
And I remember driving through the countryside and you would see bulldozers and front end loaders piling cattle up. I mean, they'd pile them up 15 and 20 feet high and they were burning cows by the thousands. And you could see the smoke going up all over England. Did you guys see that? And you know what? It turned out that it was not near as bad as it was predicted. And they said, well, the government compensated the people. One of my friends, he raised these rare type of cattle that were worth, I don't know, 25,000 pounds per cow. And the government gave him 10,000 pounds. He lost 15,000 pounds per cow because they didn't compensate. It put many people under. It destroyed people. Every time they predict all of these hurricane seasons, of course, we just had a major hurricane and every once in a while they come. But for the last five or six years, they've been saying that the hurricane season is going to be the worst it's ever been. And people say, well, they're just erring on the side of caution. Did you know every time they make these predictions, the insurance rates go up? There's people that lose their businesses because they can't keep up with the hurricane insurance. And it does a lot of damage. It's not okay to sit there and misspeak and mislead people. And yet we just always err on the side of saying the worst. We've been conditioned. And this is one of the things that's happened. We don't even realize it. It's made us negative. We look for the negative side of everything. If there's 99 reasons why something will work, most people will look at the one reason it won't work and just operate in fear and stop them and paralyze them from going out because you're being poisoned on a regular basis by people that don't know God. They hate God. They're out to destroy your Christian beliefs. And we just drink the Kool-Aid and don't think anything about it. It goes on to say in the next verse, talking about these enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, who glory in their shame, who mind earthly things. Did you know most people today, if you were to take those indictments right there, this would sum up most of the leaders in sports, in movies, in politics. It would characterize them very well. And we don't think a thing about it. Paul is presenting this as a terrible thing. Who glory in their shame. 50 years ago, people used to commit adultery and do all this stuff, but they didn't brag about it. 50 years ago, they were homosexuals, but they didn't have parades about it. Now we've come to a place that people are glorying in their shame. They're boasting that I'm just shacking up with this person. I don't have to be married. I just saw a thing on the internet today about, I forget it was Kurt Russell and whoever he shacked up with and they had a baby and they aren't married and they made a big deal out of it on the internet. Strong. That's ungodly. The end of that is destruction. God, their belly is their God. That means they are just living to satisfy themselves. Whatever feels good, do it. That is an ungodly concept. You should not be emulating people like that. You shouldn't hate them. You need to pray for these people and love them. I'm not saying you get mean-spirited, but you know what? We shouldn't be letting these people be the ones that influence us. You need to be careful who you give the ability to influence you. And every time you sit down and watch a movie or television program and stuff like that, you are letting this media influence you. And somebody says, that doesn't bother me. I can watch this stuff and it doesn't bother me. 1 Corinthians 15, says, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. If you're saying that you can watch all this and not be affected, you're deceived. 
It's just the way that it is. This is a big thing. If you want the results that Paul got, here's one of the things he did. He says, mark people. You need to put a mark over them. Say, you know what? This person, their values, their belief system, their manner of life is not what I want. And I'm not going to give the person influence in my life. I'm not going to let them guide me. I'm not going to read their article about their views of God and life. I'm not going to listen to these talk shows that the people there are just ungodly to the max. And yet they're giving other people advice on how to handle their life. I know some of you think I'm being too hard. I think you're being too naive. I really do. You know, I had these friends over in Budapest and I was with them one time and this is back in the 80s before the Berlin Wall came down and they had been to the United States and I was asking them, I said, so what was your impression of the United States? And you know what their, you know what their total summary of Americans was? They said, you are the most gullible people on the face of the earth. They had been raised under communism and they knew that it was propaganda. They knew they were being lied to and they didn't trust a thing that they heard. But they came over here to the States and if you see it on the news, if you read it on the internet, it must be so. And I guarantee you, there is a lot of lies being spoken. It's not just people that are making mistakes. There's some of that, but there is a lot of intentional lies and twisting of facts and manipulation of things. And if you are looking to the news And to our media, to be informed, you are one of the most misinformed people on the face of the earth. Amen. Preach it, Andrew. Thank you, Jesus. And then he said in verse 20, he says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In chapter four, verse one, it says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. You know, I'm not making much headway. I've got to speed up a little bit, but This is another major point. You know, Paul just said, stand fast. There's a lot of people that honestly, they don't have any ability to stand. They just, over in uh, Ephesians chapter four, matter of fact, since we're right here in Ephesians, let me just turn over and read this. Ephesians chapter four, it talks about the apostle, prophet, evangelist, to pastor and teacher that are given for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be henceforth no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of man and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He's saying that this is immaturity to be just tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. There's no stability in our life. It's like we don't have an anchor. We just go with the flow. And the the, uh, word picture that he uses here is we're tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. It's like a ship 
that if you don't have an anchor, if it's not tied to a dock, and if you just leave a boat or a ship there, I guarantee you it's going to float around. It'll, co it'll float and coast places. You know, after the tsunami in, that hit Japan, after the earthquakes last year, they've now had vessels that have washed ashore on the west coast of the United States. Nobody piloted them. They were wrecked, but they've just floated thousands and thousands of miles. They have no anchor. They aren't stationary. Paul is saying you need to get established in the truth and get to where you can judge things. And again, I can't understand how a person can sit here and say, well, in spiritual things, I'm going to judge those. But then when it comes to 90% of your life, you just watch the trash of this world come through and you have no discernment. You don't make any decisions. You let things that are completely contrary to your values be played out in front of your eyes and you indulge that, but then you're going to be discerning over here. You can't departmentalize your life that way. It doesn't work that way. I can tell y'all are loving this. You need to stand fast and you aren't going to stand fast accidentally. It takes effort. You know, I used this expression one time about drive a stake in the ground and just stand your ground. I had a man come up to me afterwards and he says, you know where that came from? And I said, no. And he says, it's an Indian term. And I forgot which Indian it was. One of the Indian tribes that when they were uh, under attack, this is the way that they would do things. And when it looked like that they were going to all be killed to keep the braves from running away, they would drive a stake in the ground and tie their foot to it so that they had to stay and fight. And they would fight to the death. And they might be killed, but instead of running, they would at least take one person or two or three or four or whatever out with them. And that's where that came from. You just drive a stake in the ground and you make your stand, live or die right here. And you know, this is what Paul is expressing, that you need to stand fast. You need to get hold of some truths and not negotiate. You need to say, this is right. This is the way it's supposed to be. You need to make sure it's not religion that's dictating it. You need to make sure it's the true Bible principles. But you need to have some non-negotiable beliefs and stand fast and fight for it. And I'm just appalled at how many Christians, they just give token resistance. Oh God, please take this problem away from me. And if it doesn't just dissolve, then you give it into it and just let it run over you. There's some things worth fighting for. If you don't get this attitude of being violently resolved, this is what it talks about in Matthew chapter 11, I believe it's verse 12, that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. You got to get a violent attitude. You got to get to the place to where I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and I'm not going to be that way anymore. And you just draw a line in the sand and say, this is it. I'm not going beyond this. I'm not going to live this way. I'm not going to let the devil destroy my life. You need to get some backbone to you. We've got a, our society is becoming more wimpish all of the time. Nobody will stand up for anything. You know, I just taught a series on television against uh, evolution and against homosexuality and against abortion. And you know, we had the lowest response. 
We had the lowest response to that teaching that I've had in five years. I was amazed how many people listen to me and get some good things from me. But when it comes to taking a stand on something, man, people didn't like that. We've got, and Christians, it's not unbelievers. It was Christians writing into me about you shouldn't be that way. Christians believe that you shouldn't have a non-negotiable position. Every situation is different. That's wrong. There are some things that have been wrong since the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're still wrong. And this doesn't mean that I hate the individual. I love the individual. I've got friends who've struggled with homosexuality, and I haven't resisted them. I've had some employees that struggled with homosexuality, and I didn't kick them out. They're still employees. And I love them. And I'm not mean to people. But you know what? It's wrong. It's a detrimental lifestyle to society and to the individual. I taught on uh, abortion. And you know what? I've had, I couldn't tell you, but at least a dozen women who've had abortions write in and thank me and say that they struggled with this so long and that they were, their life was being torn apart and yet they were in denial and they just never confronted it. Now they've confronted it. They've asked forgiveness. They've been forgiven and they're freer than they've ever been. But you can't be free by sweeping it under the carpet. The only way to get a leech or a fungus to die is expose it to the light. And you have to expose it to the light and admit it's murder and deal with it. I'm not against women that have had abortions. But you know what? Abortion's bad. It kills a person and it hurts the woman. Physically, emotionally, in every way, it is wrong. And People need to be able to take a stand on it. But you know what? We've just got, we've got an attitude even among Christians that we don't want to do anything that could be perceived as being, um, you know, we're bigoted or biased or something like that. We've let the criticism of this world cow us down. Some of the biggest Christian ministries in this nation have been interviewed on secular television about some of these things. And they'll back down nine out of 10 times. There's very few Christian leaders that have stood up and defended the truth because they don't want to be perceived as bad. We're letting the ungodly set the rules. You know, if somebody asked me, do you believe that only Christians go to heaven? If they were to ask me that, I'd say, of course, don't you? I mean, that's what the Bible says. And I'd turn it right back on them. Instead of me looking like the weirdo, you're weird for believing that everybody's going to heaven, that there is no hell when the Bible teaches that there is. I'm not going to apologize for believing the Bible. There is no other name given among heaven, given among men, whereby you must be saved. Acts chapter four, verse 12. You need to believe what the word of God says. Instead of us feeling weird for being moral, they ought to feel weird for being immoral. I'm going to love them. I'm not mad at them. I don't, I don't hurt people if, I, if they disagree with me. They're entitled to their opinion, but I'm not going to agree with them or we'd both be wrong. You need to stand fast. You need to make a stand for some godliness. Amen. You need to stir yourself up or you're going to settle to the bottom. 
And this is what's happening. We have very few people that are just stirring people up. We need some cheerleaders in the body of Christ that'll encourage people to go for it and believe the word of God and stand for something. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if they would have had an American attitude, they would, they would have bowed down because we don't want to offend them. Let's just keep our position and look how many people we're influencing in the government and we'll just compromise on this, but God knows our heart. See, that's the way an American does it. We don't want to offend anybody. Man, they wouldn't bow down. Three guys out of the entire nation standing while everybody else is bowing down to the idol that the king made. And he heated the furnace. Says, I'll give you one last chance. You repent, you bow down, and you can live. And they said, we aren't careful to answer you. In other words, we aren't worried about our response to you. We aren't afraid of you. Our God who we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. But we want you to know, even if he didn't deliver us, I'm still not going to worship you or your image. Amen. And then they were preserved from the burning fiery furnace. Didn't even have the smell of smoke. Everybody wants their testimony, but how many would take a stand that they took? You don't get, you don't get the testimony without the test. If you don't have a test, then all you got is simonies. That's what Joyce Myers said. I really like that. You just got the monies. You're going to have to take a stand. You're going to have to do something. Amen. Man, I could preach on that a long time. Let's move on here. Let's go down to verse four. This is Philippians chapter four, verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know, this is so powerful. Again, this is easy to read. Most people read the Bible and they don't really take it to heart. They don't let the Bible get in the way of what they believe. They just read it like, you know, you get credit for so many hours spent reading the Bible. And so you just read it, but you don't have to believe it or apply it. This is Paul saying, rejoice in the Lord always, always. Did you know in the Greek, that word means always. (laughs) It means always. It means all the time. It means every time. Always. But I've got problems. Well, that's an always. You're still supposed to be rejoicing. And I believe that when Paul wrote this, he knew people were going to be shocked. Like he could not mean what he's saying here. You can't rejoice in the Lord. He's bound to mean something else. And so he says, again, I say rejoice. (laughs) I believe he just repeated it knowing that some people were going to think this. He couldn't mean what he said. So he repeated it. I'm saying rejoice in the Lord always. Most people today say that's, insensitive. You aren't feeling my pain. You aren't compassionate. You know, I've kind of set you up for this, the things that I've been saying. And so in here, you kind of know where I'm going and you expect it. But if you were out on the street and you were sitting there and you had problems and somebody came up and said, well, just rejoice, man, your flesh would rise up. Like, how dare you say that? You don't know what I'm going through. Most of us justify us being less than what the Bible tells us to be. Most of us, and it's in a sense, you build a little fence around you and you say anything within these parameters. If it's a hangnail, I'm going to rejoice. Amen. Even though I've got a hangnail. 
If I've got a small headache, I'll still rejoice. But if you're going through a divorce, you won't rejoice. If you've been told you're going to die, you won't rejoice. If you've got a financial problem, you won't rejoice. If you're facing getting laid off your job, well, then that's justification for not rejoicing. We only go so far with what the Bible says. But this says rejoice in the Lord always. There is no reason for you not to be rejoicing. And again, I know many of you in your mind are just going through and giving all kinds of reasons why that doesn't apply to you. But it does apply to every single person. Some of you have heard me give this testimony, but it's a classic. It's one of the best testimonies I've got on this. That there was a woman I ministered to and she told me that she'd been through three divorces. Her fourth husband was going to divorce her. She had tried to commit suicide the day before because he told her he was going to divorce her. She was poor. I went over to her house and I mean, it was pitiful circumstances. So just a lot of things going wrong in her life. And she came in and she says, I'm not a Christian like you and Chip, the owner of this business that I was speaking at. But he says, I know that there's a God and I know prayer works. And then she began to cry. Would you please pray for me that I won't get another divorce? I couldn't stand it if I got another divorce. And I just stopped this woman and I said, let me make sure I've understood this correctly. I said, you aren't a Christian and you realize that you aren't a Christian. She says, that's right. I said, if you were to die right now, you would go to hell and not go to heaven. And she says, that's right. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage and not pray for your salvation. And she said, that's right. And I said, lady, don't you realize that after you burned in hell for a thousand years, you won't give a rip whether this marriage worked out or not. Who cares about your marriage? I said, you need to be saved. And it's just like somebody slapped her. She just quit crying and looked at me and she says, I think you're right. She says, I need to be saved. And so we prayed and she got born again. And then we prayed for her marriage. But my point in that story is to say, see some people, but if, if you're divorced, if you're going through a divorce, you can't rejoice. Why not? If nothing else, take the scripture that says in heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage and say, thank you, Jesus. This is only temporary. Amen. Take the scripture where God says, I've engraven you on the palms of my hand and I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you and say, Father, thank you that you'll never divorce me. I don't care how bad I act. You'll never divorce me. And you could praise God. You could rejoice in the Lord always if you're going through a divorce. Some of you, but I've got paid in my body. The doctor says I'm going to die. You sing the songs about when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. And then the doctor tells you you're going and you cry. (laughs) You ought to be able to rejoice thinking about, man, today could be the day I get to see the Lord. Maybe I'm going to get to be with the Lord before somebody else. You can rejoice in any situation. And if you're going to truly, this is one of Paul's secrets He wouldn't tell these people to do something that he wouldn't do. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You need to make a decision that you are going to rejoice. The scripture says, with thanksgiving. Matter of fact, I think that's right here in just a couple of more verses. Going down verse five, it says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse six, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Notice it says you have to do this with thanksgiving. You should never, ever, 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 ever just come into the Lord and just, oh God, here's my problem and just blurt it all out. Psalms 101 
says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy endures forever. You should approach God with thanksgiving in your heart. It said in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, it's uh, the end of that where you start by saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You start by praising God. Then you slip in. Give us this day our daily bread. And then you end it with, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. You know what that is? That's praise. It's a sandwich technique. You know, when you have a sandwich, you have a piece of bread on the top and a piece of bread on the bottom and you put the other stuff in between. You need to always start with praise and thanksgiving, slip in your request and then end it with praise and thanksgiving. That's what the Bible tells you to do with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And so you should never just come in and oh God and just spew all of this stuff out. And you know what would happen if you did that? If you started by saying, Father, thank you for the word. Thank you for your goodness. And you start praising him for how awesome he is. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. God, nothing's impossible with you. By the time you get to your problem, you've already encouraged yourself in the Lord. You're already now got everything in its proper perspective. And so you slip it in. Oh, by the way, the doctor said I was going to die. But thank you for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And you just, you know, it's just no big deal. You can shrink your problems down by doing that. You ought to make a decision. I am going to rejoice in the Lord always. You know, I've shared the testimony about how our son was raised from the dead. And this is one of the things that caused that to happen. Is because I started feeling grief. I started having sorrow. And I just... I have made, I've driven a stake in the ground and I am going to praise God. I don't care what comes my way. And even though my son was dead, I decided I was going to praise God. And I started praising God and thanking him that he didn't kill my son. He wasn't at fault. I began to tell him, God, I don't care what happens, whether my son comes back or not, I'm going to still praise you. I am not going to be bitter I just started praising God. And I tell you, when you start praising God, the Bible says that it makes the enemy flee. Psalms chapter eight, verse two, it's strength to still the enemy and the avenger. And it makes the devil flee. And I, I, all of the fear and the grief left, faith rose up. And all of a sudden I knew that I knew that I knew that our son was going to live. And you know, a large portion of that was because I chose to praise God in the midst of a bad situation. Anybody can praise God on the other side of the Red Sea after your enemy is drowned and after you've come through without any problems. It's faith to praise God on this side of the Red Sea when you got the enemy breathing down your neck and it looks like you're going to die. You just need to make a decision that you're going to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You just rejoice. You just rejoice regardless. Just make a decision. I'm going to rejoice. It would help you if you would perceive how other people perceive you. If people come up and say, how are you? Are they sorry they asked? (laughs) Because you're going to tell them of every ache, every pain, every hurt, every problem. You're one of these that just, you just bleh, right all over them. You know what? Other people ought to perceive you as a person who's a praiser. Most of us would like that as our epitaph. 
We would like this at our funeral. But you know what? You don't get it unless you live it. You ought to be a praiser. You ought to be a person that finds something positive. If they hung you, praise God, it's a brand new rope. Amen. (laughs) If they slit your throat, praise God, it was a clean knife. No infection in it. Amen. There's something to praise God for in any situation. You can find something to praise God for. The Bible says that let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. I assume every one of you in here is breathing. You should be praising the Lord. I don't care how bad your problem is. It could be worse. The person that had neuropathy and pain in their feet thought they had it really bad until they met the person that didn't have any feet. You know what? You could praise God that you still got feet. You could praise God you got a back to hurt. Praise God that you feel the pain. There's some people that are quadriplegic, can't feel a thing. It could always be worse. If you would start praising God for how good it is, then you would strengthen the things that are good and they would begin to grow. But when you focus on the negative and complain and murmur and talk about all of this, it just grows and magnifies. And it seems like it takes over more and more territory in your life. Man, you need to start praising God that things are as good as they are. This is one thing that even though I am conservative and I believe that there is a place for these conservative talk shows because our media has been taken over by the liberals, I just cannot handle the negativism of all of this. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. If you're listening to three, three hour talk shows of these conservative people all day long, you are a mess. You may be a properly informed mess, but you're a mess. (laughs) You're going to be negative. You're going to have fear. You're going to be bitter because, I mean, it is negative to the max. They don't point out the good. You need to realize that, man, as bad as things are, it could be a lot worse. We could be living in Paul's world where the Caesar proclaims himself as God, where you are conquered by a foreign country that comes in and just oppresses you. Man, praise God, things are as good as they are. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I need to quit and I'm not anywhere near quitting. I tell you what, I'm just going to quit. I got one more session. I got to squeeze five things in tonight to finish this list of 20. But I tell you what, there's some powerful things here. And if you want the results that Paul had, think the way that Paul thought and you'll get it. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It is not because of some special anointing on people that things work for them. It's not because fate dealt them a different hand than he's dealt you. If you want the results somebody else is getting, do what they do. Think what they think. And you'll get the results that they get. It's that simple. For you to feel that you have no control is a lie. And that's one of the reasons that things are out of control because you don't believe you have the control. You don't believe that your resistance and your standing does anything. You've bought into a lie from the devil. You need to recognize that as you think in your heart, that's the way that your life is going. And praise God, change the way you think and you'll get different results. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, again, I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus, you must know Jesus. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And I know we've got new people here this morning. Many of you don't realize that I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues because I don't act like most Pentecostals. And so some of you came here under false pretenses. But I'm telling you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit changed my life. And I speak in tongues. I've been speaking in tongues today. I speak in tongues every day. If you don't speak in tongues, it's like charging hell with a water pistol. (laughs) You need power. Jesus said you receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. When you speak in tongues, it's just like flipping a switch and turning on power. You talk about keeping you encouraged. If you would speak in tongues and do it for more than just one sentence, but do it for 20, 30, 40 minutes, an hour, it'll force you to become positive. It will force your attention on God. You cannot stay negative and speak in tongues. You can start speaking in tongues, but your mind, if it's in the gutter, you'll quit speaking in tongues. You have to get into faith. This is why the Bible says, building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Jude chapter one, verse 20. And then verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Praying in tongues will keep you in the love of God. It'll keep you stirred up. If you don't have this gift of speaking in tongues, you absolutely need it. Absolutely. You need to be born again and every born again person also needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is there anybody in here today who doesn't have one or both of those and you would like to receive? I'd like to pray for you and help you to receive. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Praise God. Here's some people back here. Still got people. We've had over what? How many? 63 people already come and receive, but praise God, there's people raising their hands. You know, if, um, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand, but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat and come forward? And we want to pray with you right here and help you to receive. Just come forward right now and we want to help you to receive. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I believe this is going to change your life. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, here's what I'd like to ask. If you wouldn't mind, we've got a meeting that's starting just nearly immediately down one floor down. People are going to want to go to that about the Bible college. What I'd like to ask, if you would, I've got a book that I want to give every one of you about this. And we've got some prayer ministers. And if you would just follow Robert for just a moment, he would take you. They will pray with you, help you to receive. If you need salvation or the baptism of the Holy Spirit, They'll minister to you. If you need healing, they'll help you. But I want to give every one of you a book. So please, if you would, just follow Robert. And we're going to minister to you. And I believe that, praise God, you're never going to be the same. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'd like to invite our prayer ministers up here. If you need prayer, we're here to pray for you. But I want to remind you, I really think it's important. We want to help you. And our Bible college is the number one way that I have of impacting lives. 
I reach more people through television and through CDs and stuff, but the biggest impact I make on people is through our Bible college. I guarantee you, it'll change your life. The Bible college is life-changing. So if you've ever even remotely thought of going to Bible college, you ought to go to that meeting. If you haven't thought of it, go to it and we'll plant the seed. Amen. It'd be good for you. It wouldn't hurt a single person. So anyway, they've got that meeting downstairs starting right now. Remember that we've got the four sessions that we've already had. They're all duplicated on CD and DVDs, and you can get those out there along with all of the other material. Pastor Barry Burns will be down there to talk to ministers if you want to be a part of our army. Amen. It'd be a blessing. And if the rest of you, if you need prayer for anything, that's what all of our prayer ministers are here for. So come forward and let someone agree with you in prayer. And remember that tonight we start at 6 p.m. We start one hour early to give our uh, crew a little bit more sleep after they have to take everything down. They usually get to bed about 12, 1 o'clock. So this will get them to bed at 1 instead of 2. Amen. So we start at 6 tonight. So if you need prayer, come forward right now. The rest of you, thanks for coming. You're dismissed. We'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. And don't forget to get all of those materials.